Warning. The program you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> <laughs> JB, you start Let's... sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. I okay. hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. <laughs> he asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun good one. Going down on the clitoris? Oh, yes. Oh, I like where you're going with this. For some reason, the word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said come and strap-on at the same time. And he cannot stop talking about his buttocks. I think your butt is telling you, no mas, por favor. (laughs) This is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... The one, the only, Adam Sank! Shalom, shalom. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are not live, but this is a brand new episode. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Saturday, May 18th, 2019 at DNRstudios.com. Leave me your ratings and reviews on iTunes or wherever else you listen to this bullshit. Email me, me at Adam at AdamSank.com. Like the Facebook page. Donate to my AIDS Walk page. And for God's sake, download my second and final comedy album entitled... Adam Sank's last comedy album, available everywhere. Our guest today is Jill Salvino, the director of a a fascinating new documentary called Between the Shades. Joining her will be actor Yuval David, who also appears in the documentary. We will be talking to them in just a little while. But first, we need to welcome back our co-host, who was here two weeks ago uh, when we did a live show. He couldn't stay away. He's been talking about his experience ever since. Please welcome back Sean Peter Drohan. Hi. Sean. Doesn't it feel like we were just here talking to Frank DeCaro? Yeah, I mean, time just moves so quickly when I'm not with you. Exactly. What's happened in the last two weeks in your life, Sean? Well, I ate a chewy bar. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a little bit more iced coffee, and I responded to several text messages. Well, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. Frankly, you must be exhausted. (laughs) I mean, you know, to be young. Sean, we're going to be talking to Jill about her documentary, uh, which is all about sort of how people label themselves or or don't label themselves when it comes to sexuality and gender and sexual orientation and i think i know the answer but how if someone says like sean what are you how do you answer that question i'm a lover i'm a, <laughs> not a fighter no not a fighter um no i am gay and i i take that to mean several things i am uh someone who identifies as a man and has sex with men um, I am also, as I like to say, classically gay, which is to say that I know most of the early, uh, most of the tracks on the early Barbara Streisand albums. Um, so I am both culturally and uh, uh, culturally gay with a capital G, and then also sexually gay, uh, as it is used to mean homosexual. You're conversant with the canon, yes. as it were. Yes, classically. Yeah, I think uh, that's how I would describe myself. Um, you know, I used to think like, oh, I'll never be like as good as some queens when it comes to knowing all of the kitsch and the and the the history and the and the trivia. But now that I'm older, I feel like I'm now one of these. You're the like, three eyed raven. Yeah, I feel like, you know, like I'm the one teaching the young gays about the boys in the band. And well, I'm actually worse at Paris the contemporary is burning stuff because and... I don't I don't watch RuPaul. So that's kind of. <gasps> I know. What? Well, so that's like a whole thread that I miss, but like, I I know, I know, I know. But I've got my, you know, I know all the Betty Davis movies. Can you do a Betty Davis? Uh, it's going to be a bumpy night. She's not British. I know she's not British, but she has a mid-Atlantic accent. <laughs> it's going to be a bumpy night. My favorite. Night. That was pretty good. My favorite Betty Davis is from um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, uh-huh. when she calls the liquor store to order more liquor and finds out that uh, Blanche, her sister, has cut off her her orders. And she says, Hello, Johnson's? Yeah, I want to order some liquor. What do you mean? She said, I can't have any more. Oh, my sister. Well, let me put her on. And then she kind of pauses, and then she gets back on the phone and does yeah. her sister's voice, but of course it's really Joan Crawford, and she says, Hello. Yes, this is Blanche Hudson. What? And it's just the most hilarious, <laughs> campiest thing. My Betty Davis is not good either. No, I was... But I was, it's better than yours. I, I was... Um, oh, wow. Okay, I was going to compliment you, but we'll just move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
see how it is. It's all about the eyes. You have to make the eyes. Yeah, like... if you could see it, guys. It's scary. Um, anyway, we're going to start this week, uh, because we're recording this so far in advance, we're going to have very little news this week. Um, but Grinder came out with this article back in November of 2018, and I'm uh -huh. just getting to it now, where guys recount the funniest things that have happened to them during sex. Oh, God. Um, and I thought I would share some of these because they're funny. One of them is called The Idiot Dog. And the guy says, I have a double closet in my bedroom. Oh, here's, the, here's what it sounded like when they were having sex. One time while my husband and I were going at it, I looked over and saw that our dog had realized she could walk in one door and out of the other and still be in the bedroom. She did this no less than 10 times before I finally told my husband we needed to change positions and face away from the closet. It's hard to be sexy when your idiot dog has made the discovery of her lifetime. So basically the dog was performing a magic trick over and over again while the two guys... <laughs> now... My dog, who's here in the studio today for the first time, uh, was very much interested in watching me have sex. And it doesn't really bother me, but it bothers the partners that I'm with a lot. That scans. They don't like it. Also, she tends to jump on the bed as soon as we finish. Mm -hmm. uh, but at least she waits. Yeah. Which I think is... is uh, um, Polite. Polite. Uh, the next story is called The Dutch Oven. This one I do not like. When I was just about to climax, I blurted out, oh, hold on a second, and ripped a huge fart. We were half covered by the duvet. And so I kind of Dutch ovened both of us before I came. We couldn't stop laughing after that. I don't think I would laugh. No, I mean, I guess maybe if it was like someone that I was intimate with. Like your uh, boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that could be funny. But if it were not, then I would just, you know... I don't, I don't find any kind of farting, uh, except for that sound effect, of course. I don't really, I'm not a, into fart jokes. I think that's a very straight guy thing. Oh, sure, 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 sure. So if I were to fart during sex, which, you know, let's face it, we've all been there for bottoms. Sometimes air just rushes out. Yeah. Um, I'm mortified, and the last thing I want to do is talk about it. Um, but that's not really a fart. Well... That's the air around us. It's air. That's smelly air in. coming out of your ass is a fart, regardless. No, but I don't. I, my point is that I don't think it's smelly. It's just regular air. I think in some cases it's smelly, and in some cases it's not. <laughs> We're just gonna have to agree to disagree here, Adam. <laughs> I mean, all right. I'm not gonna get into okay. it. Uh, the next story is called the Pokemon. Po oh. The Pokemon. My boyfriend started saying Pikachu. In a Pikachu. Wait, how, can you do a Pikachu voice? I don't know what he sounds like. Pika, Pika. He started saying Pikachu in a Pikachu voice seductively in my ear out of nowhere one time. I had to stop and laugh. That's really cute. It's cute. It is it's super cute. Let, let someone do Pokemon noises in my ears. I'm going to toss them off being giggle. <laughs> See, I had to, if I, if, when I bring humor into sex, I have to really have known the person a long time. Yeah. If it's a stranger, there's nothing funny happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like if some stranger were like, Pikachu. Yeah, then you're like, like, I'm going to die Get the now. fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one's called The Library Puppy. It was 1.30 a.m. on a Thursday, close to the start of term. I guess this was a college student. And me and my date were heading back to his place. We were outside the university library, and I had a condom packet between my teeth and was kneeling down, whimpering like a puppy. I'm not sure why. A woman comes out of the library. I don't hear her, but she would have, would have seen everything, and I'm still on my knees when our eyes meet. I just jumped up and tried to do the best to hide my face, but I swear before I did, I saw her grin. My date just found it all hilarious. What? I don't understand this story at all. So you're making puppy noises in front of the library, and then someone comes out and sees you. You guys make eye contact, and then you start to giggle. But why is the condom in your teeth, and why are you whimpering like a puppy? Well, this is why people are opposed to gay marriage. <laughs> We've... And well, as well, they should be. And this last one's called the clapper. Clapper. I don't exactly. Like it. I'm lazy, and I have a clapper, so I don't have to get out of bed to shut off my lights. One time, while giving it good, the sound of my hips and balls slapping against his ass oh, no. ended up turning. <laughs> Wait, so ended up turning the lights off. God. So when I was a little kid, <laughs> this is how much of like truly a dork I was. I begged my parents for a clapper for Christmas because I had seen the commercials online and I thought it was the coolest clap thing I'd ever on. seen. Clap off. Clap on. Clap off. The, the clapper. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen and you had to like send away for them. Like it, it, it was still like the, maybe like the, I was maybe like eight or nine years old around like 2000. And, um, 
I got it and I plugged it into our Christmas or into like the lights in the living room, which was like the Christmas tree and, and a lamp and things like that. And I was just thought it was the coolest thing that I could do that in the living room. And it, my parents are yellers and my parents fight a lot. And so every now and then, like they would be in the middle of a fight and then all of the lights would go out. And it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen as a child. Just to like my, my parents would be like, that's to me shit to you. And then like the lights would just go out. <laughs> so dramatic. Yeah. Well, this uh, these guys put the lights out with their fucking because it was making such a clapping noise. Yeah. I was trying to think about um, my funniest sex story because most of mine really aren't funny. They're sad. But I did come up with one, which was about 10 years ago, I was getting plowed by this guy that I've always been in love with. We, I met him when I was in college. When I was uh, a student in Ann Arbor, he was a stripper in Saginaw, Michigan. And, you know, that was 30 years ago and we still are familiar with each other he, he moved to New York he became a very successful dancer and choreographer like a name choreographer who, who worked with Michael Jackson and so forth he's just hot as fuck and I would marry him if he ever wanted to but he only wants to fuck me like once every 10 years so we were going at it it was pride weekend it's just like Pirates of the Caribbean it really is I don't get that reference but okay. we were going at it and it was the summertime and my window was open and I mean he was giving it to me good and when we both came it was very loud. It was like we screamed oh. like at the top of our lungs. And from somewhere in the distance, no. we hear, Woo! and it was some guy was like applauding for us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I approve. <laughs> and we both, like we were both still coming when the applause started oh. and we just both started cracking up. That's really funny. That's good though. That's not like yeah. a dark. Funny. No, it was one of my favorite experiences ever because, you know. What's better than laughing and coming at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, we are going to move on to this week's cocktails and cock talk story. Okay. And now, time for another stupid story from cocktailsandcocktalk.com. Yeah, Do you know this website? Like no. Cocktails and Cock Talk. It's where I get most of my news. Um, <laughs> they frequently just make things up which is why I love them. But this week, their story is uh, dick dysmorphia is totally a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, this is about guys who feel like their dick isn't big enough, like they don't measure up. But in fact, it's fine. They're average or bigger than average, uh, but they have dick dysmorphia or dicksmorphia, if you will. I guess you won't. Okay. This is from a real study published in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy. They asked over 6,200 people between 18 and 40, I, I assume men, uh, about their private parts, sex lives, and what they call genital self-image. I have a poor genital self-image. Uh, what they found was that those who were less confident about their dangly bits were, uh, this, that's their words, were also more likely to suffer from performance anxiety. Quote, satisfaction with penis length and or circumference is often related to a man's self-confidence and feelings of masculinity. However, many men hold misconceptions about the average penis length and often misjudge their own penis length to be shorter than average. I mean, this is because we all watch porn. Yeah, I think that the other thing about it, too, is that I'm, so this is actually just a theory that I apply in my own life. I assume that when I look in the mirror that I am probably 15 percent more attractive than what I see. So I kind of account for that ugly filter that I've put over myself through like years of shame Not just and your trauma. dick, but everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just whole assume package. that I'm kind of probably 15% better looking than I think I am mm. and try and apply that in the calculus of human interaction. And then I'm also aware that most people are not aware of how I actually recently, someone that I find incredibly attractive asked him how attractive he thinks he is and he was like oh you know average and he was he's like you know well above average and i think that that is just something that generally applies for people but as it applies to penises is really interesting because there's this biochemical element wherein anxiety doesn't just make you act in a different way it actually you know has a chemical uh, impact that is going to uh, quantifiably decrease performance. You're deep, Sean. Oh, thank you. You really are a deep thinker. Uh, I agree with you, and I also think that, you know, there's such this overemphasis in our society anyway on masculinity mm -hmm. and what that, who knows what that even means anymore, um, but that we're supposed to be strong and powerful and virile, and part of that is supposed to mean having a huge dick. And the, the fallacy of that, if I may use the word fallacy, 
Yes, it, please do. Is that most guys don't have huge dicks. Yeah. If they did, they wouldn't be considered huge. They'd be considered average. Yeah. Having a huge dick is like an, you're an oddity. Um, and sometimes not great. That's right. Uh, that's right. When someone on Facebook was saying that most of his friends with truly large dicks aren't thrilled with it because they can't get a good blowjob and they're constantly the subject of gossip, which I got to say, if people were gossiping about my huge dick, I don't think I'd be too upset. But Wait, who knows? I'm, I'm really, I'm really confuddled because I, I deal with big dicks all the time and they are never not satisfied. Who is not satisfied with these big dick people? <laughs> I mean, you're talented, JB, but Thank I think you. there are people who cannot handle <laughs> the guys that you take on. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's JB's last boyfriend when we interviewed him. Um, yeah. so, wow, this just keeps going. That's a long day. So, yeah, um, but, but I have always, and I, I, you know, I'm a victim of this, right? Because I always obsess about my dick being too small when, in fact, I'm like 50%, 50th percentile dick. I'm sure I am. I, I've seen what's out there. And I have this belief, mistaken, I'm sure, that if I were big, truly big, that I would be more confident, that I would walk, you know, I would strut, I would have more uh, um, confidence in, in all aspects of my life. Well, I, I think that's a myth. Because, again, I've, I've had sex with a lot of big dick niggas, and that big dick nigga talk is... Oh, we're going to the N-word. Yeah, I'm sorry, because that that's just, never that, happened before on this That's show. just the phrase I heard of it, is big dick nigga talk, so I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So... Even people with small penis, it's just the confidence and the aura that you have. If you're comfortable with your body, you're just going to have that big dick talk with you. Well, that's what the Cocktails and Cock Talk article said. The writer said, I don't care how big someone's dick is as long as they act like they've got a 10-incher. As long as they approach me with that level of confidence and sexual uh, cockiness, that that's what matters. I think that we can all agree that the only purpose of having sex is to be validated by someone, and someone with any penis size can validate me, and that's what I'm looking for. There so my number is 407. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put a pin that, because I don't believe if you have big dick nigga talk and you come to me with big dick nigga talk and you don't have big dick, we have an issue. Because you're not going to yell at me and tell me I'm going to clear up your house and you have a five-inch penis. This is not how this works. <laughs> Wow. Well, that was an interesting uh, conversation. See, this is why I love cocktails and cock talk. The yeah, stories are stupid, great. but they inspire really good conversations. Um, this is a new story. All of our new stories are dated as fuck because we're recording this so many weeks in advance. But this was a story that I wanted to cover. Um, so you have this uh, valedictorian giving his, a speech at his college graduation. And this particular valedictorian comes out as gay. His name is Matthew Easton. Now, that would be a nice story regardless, but what makes it really great is that he was the valedictorian at Brigham Young University, mm -hmm. the Mormon University, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, this is their thing. This is, their, 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 this is where all Mormons uh, go to school if they're devout. And um, he chose this moment to come out to the world. Listen to Matthew Easton at his graduation speech. It was in these quiet moments of pain confusion that I felt another triumph, that of coming to terms not with who I thought I should be, but who the Lord has made me to be. As such, I stand before my family, friends, and graduating class today to say that I am proud to be a gay son of God. Now those, that screaming actually came from his sister, who was holding the camera. Um, the camera slipped as she let out a whoop. Uh, a part of a chorus of cheers that echoed through the Marriott Center. You know the Marriotts are big Mormons. Yeah. Um, oh, the, they are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Rom Romney. The Romney family is somehow connected to the Marriott family. In the middle of the immense sports arena stood Eastern, Eastern at a lectern bearing his university's initials. Um, this is really badass. Yeah, I'm just dealing with the fact that he's going to have a boyfriend in like eight minutes. He's Mormon. <laughs> he's 22. 24. And 20, that's worse. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, as soon as someone comes out, they immediately get a boyfriend. It's part of the welcome package. Well, look no, at it's not. Don't oh. don't say that lie. That had that never happened to me. When I came out. That I think he means like in a in a public way, like when you're fam like when you become famous. Doing I actually it. Like did it, but I'm really sorry. It's maybe it got lost in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like uh, Pete Buttigieg. You know, uh -huh. this dude came out exactly. four years ago, and he's already got a husband. One been, swipe been, on hinge. I've been out for 25 years, and I, I you know I, I can't get arrested. Adam sex <laughs> number is nine one seven. Yes, it is. Um, you know, we've talked on this show about how there's something happening. 
Um, there's something happening with men in the ass. There's something happening with men in the ass. No, there's something happening with the Mormon church. Um, whereby the, they're this you know rabidly homophobic institution, but the younger Mormons are like, fuck this shit. We love the gays. We we we're gonna be gay. Uh, you have the Imagine Dragons frontman that we talked about uh, last uh, two weeks ago. He's Mormon. He's a Mormon. I mean, they're because it is hatred and discrimination is kind of antithetical to Mormon theology. The Mormons. Uh, are taught to love everyone. Shout out to Brandon Flowers of the Killers, who uh, Hot Fuss came out in 2007, something like that, and was some of the first queer-infused writing that I ever heard. He's Mormon as well. And Andy, You're a Star was kind of one of my first uh, uh, queer narratives that I heard. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And there's also that guy who was on um, So You Think You Can Dance. I think his name is Benji Schwimmer. Yeah. Who came out after the show. He, he wasn't out on the show, but then wow. later he came out. Well, he was pleased. He was one of these, you know, screaming queens who Nigel kept saying, oh, I'm sure all the women enjoyed watching that. And it was like, come on, Nigel. Like, who are we kidding here? This dude's like practically got a vagina. That was almost as good as your Betty Davis. Thank you so much. Um, but anyway, yeah, they're they're coming out in droves. I think it's wonderful. I, I think it takes real balls to be the valedictorian at Brigham yeah. Young and come out as gay. Yeah, very much so. I'm sure the school was horrified. And I hope they don't stone him to death. Fuck them. Wait, is that what Mormons do? Do they stone people? No, they're very, they're very, uh, they excommunicate you and they uh, put you in conversion therapy, but they do go. not stone you. Um, in a related story... An Australian cricket star named James Faulkner celebrated his birthday by coming out of the closet on Instagram. The only problem is he's not gay. What? <laughs> he came out accidentally. He didn't mean to say he was gay. He was just misunderstood. He posted a photo of him having dinner with his mom and another man named Rob Jubb. And he said, birthday dinner with the boyfriend and my mother together for five years. Here's the picture. So everyone was like, congratulations. Like, it's so great that you're finally being open and your, boy, Why would he use your the boyfriend, boyfriend is so cute. Together in five years. In a follow-up post, he said, there seems to be a misunderstanding oh, no. about my post from last night. I am not gay. However, it has been fantastic to see the support from the LGBTQ community. Let's never forget that love is love. However, Rob is just a great friend. Last night marked five years of being housemates. Good on everyone for being so supportive. No, a bullshit. Because you don't use the word boyfriend. I we're together. That's unless he's use. British, he's Australian. Oh God damn it! No, no. They he's get a, a they, he he plays something called cricket, which I don't know the rules of cricket. But it's like uh, a terrible baseball. Why is why are all the sounds so loud today? Um, but yeah, so um, but good for him that he wasn't like angry or homophobic about it. He was like, "This is great, you know. Thanks for all the love and support, but I'm not gay." Oh my god, someone else accidentally came out just like that. Uh, the movie star, he was in um, Kingsman, the main actor. I forgot. Who, what's Kingsman? Uh, the spy movie. Oh, you always do this, JB. I got it. I got it. Hold on. I, I'm looking for the look for the man. Dude, dude, who are you saying, Jill? Liam Neeson? Liam who? Oh my God! Don't judge me. Here's what's happening to my show right now. All right, we're gonna move on. One guy who has come out and on purpose and really is gay is one of the current American Idol contestants, Jeremiah Lloyd Harmon. Mm -hmm. Are you watching this season? I am not, but I'm following it on the social media. Taryn so I lot Egerton. Taryn Egerton came out accidentally? Yeah, he, was, he uh, posted a picture with him and his best friend and said, this is my boyfriend for years, but... It was just him and his best friend, and his girlfriend's like, oh, yeah, they just play like this all the time. I'm just like, what the fuck? Don't, don't use the word boyfriend. Well, Taron Egerton is starring in that new Elton John biopic, Rocketman, yeah. and so he, there's been a million stories about him that are like, maybe he's queer, or maybe he's this, and it's all, uh, to he's me, not, that's all just straight. publicity he for has the a film. Girlfriend. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Anywho, um, I haven't watched American Idol in years, and I had no intention of watching. But this guy, Jeremiah Lloyd Harmon, is not only openly gay, he's also like, Amazing. Yeah, freakishly talented. He's an amazing artist. 
And he has this great backstory, which is that his father is this um, right-wing, homophobic, Bible-thumping preacher, and his parents completely rejected him. He actually worked as a church janitor before coming on the show. His parents basically disowned him. Um, when when they were in Hawaii for one of the final rounds of casting on the show, everyone else's families were there, and he didn't have anyone. And <clears throat> so then he, he made it to the top 10. I think now he's in the top six. He just keeps wowing the judges. And on the last live episode that I saw, his parents were in the audience. And it was like, oh, my God, they finally came around. And, you know, the camera went to them. And Ryan Seacrest was like, how do you feel, Mom and Dad? And they were both like, oh, he's so great. We're so proud of him. And I thought, oh, this is what a great story. Well, after that appearance, his father gave a 38-minute long sermon basically about how being gay is a sin, how he's not going to change his mind. It doesn't matter that his son is gay. He loves his son, but he's still never going to be okay with, with gay people. And this is part of his 38-minute long sermon. People call me, they say, you're, you're homophobic. I'm not homophobic. I'm theophobic. I, I fear God. In society today, we're concerned about offending everybody except God. We don't. We, we we are so politically correct. We don't have one offend anyone. We don't have a, those those that same crowd doesn't have any problem using the Lord's name in vain and offending God and trampling over His commandments. Can you imagine what a hateful fuck you have to be to have an openly gay son who's becoming a celebrity, who's on American Idol, singing every week? America's fallen in love with him, and you're going to use his fame to get up and, and preach that hateful shit? B bigotry and hateful shit. Because when he said fear of God, he should be fearful of God for what he's saying right there because God preaches love. And what you're preaching is not love, sir. It is straight hate. When he went into that in detail, he says, everyone keeps sending me letters and emails that Jesus is about love. He's like, and you're right. But they're forgetting the other part of God. He's like, God is love. God's love is everywhere. But so is God's wrath. Yeah, and we I mean, have forgotten about God's wrath. That was a wild invention. Theophobic. I'm also afraid of Theo. I'm glad that he... he's this guy that lives on my block that always gives me shit. I'm always glad when someone correctly combines Greek prefixes and suffixes, doesn't mix <laughs> the Latin and the Greek. That really upsets me when that happens. But other than that, it was a fairly. You're saying th is Theo like deophobic would have been like just morphologically ridiculous. <laughs> I love you, Sean. I just and also he has one of those horrible Philly accents where he says, I'm not homophobic. I'm not homophobic. I hate that. I hate that accent. Sorry to anyone in Philly. That's First my all, least favorite accent. When you when your statement says I'm not homophobic, if that started saying you're already homophobic. Thank already you. It's like job. saying I'm not racist. Yeah, I'm not racist, but I hate black people. That's pretty much racism in general. Yeah, of course. Well, this guy Jeremiah Lloyd Harmon um continues to rise. And I love the fact that he's just to in total defiance. Like, he's been very open about his parents, and I'm sure they're both getting a lot of shit for this. And rather than, you know, maybe learning something and, and being softened by watching your son shine in this way, you, you become you're even harder and, and more uh, hateful. And it's just so gross. So I, I applaud Jeremiah Lloyd Harmon. Um, I hope his father dies. I, no, I don't mean that, but I hope... <laughs> <laughs> we'll vote for Jeremiah. I hope he goes away. Bring Katy Perry out of the shadows. Oh my God, Katy Perry is so fucking unwatchable on I that know, show. It's so she's rusky. such a raging narcissist, and she can't. She makes every moment about her. I know, but I just want another teenage dream album. Oh boy, it. is she a pain in the ass? But anyway, I I um I asked JB to isolate a little bit of Jeremiah. Um, Derek and Romaine, don't get nervous. This is not from American Idol. This is his own YouTube page where he's doing a cover of uh, Fleetwood Mac's Landslide, and he actually did sing this on the show in one of the uh, earlier rounds. Listen to his beautiful voice, you guys. Well, I've been afraid of changing cause I've built my life around you But time That's my favorite song. Is it really? Yeah, I love, I, I love the Dick's Chick version, though. 
Dixie chicks. Oh, yeah, chicks. absolutely. Yeah. The Dix chicks. The Dix chicks. <laughs> That's a great name for like a drag group. The it starts dicks, here. The Dix chicks. No, his tone is so beautiful. And one of the things that's impressive about all the Idol contestants this time around is they all play instruments. They yeah. all write music. He writes his own songs. Mm-hmm. He plays piano. He plays guitar. Like, they're talented as yeah. fuck this year. Uh, and I'm watching the show. I, can, I can't tolerate Katie. Lionel Richie and Luke Bryan also contribute nothing. Um, Ryan Seacrest infuriates me because he has my career. Well, I mean, yes, truly, uh, you shouldn't have come out, but uh, <laughs> you should have seen People the... think I look like him, too. Wait, Ryan Seacrest Se- Ryan came out? Yeah, actually, no, I, 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 I... Sean is saying I shouldn't have come out. I could have had Ryan's oh, career. Yeah, I actually... When I'm skinnier, I look like him. No, I was actually going to uh, not accept that, but you do look like Ryan Seacrest <clears throat> quite a bit. From head on. Um, From the side, he's got a much better nose. Uh, American Idol to Paula Abdul. Did you see her perform at the uh, Billboard Music Awards? No, but I heard about it. Specifically when she threw the fedora at Julianne Hough, uh, her neck, and she Julianne Hough had to like be in like a neck brace afterward because Paula Abdul like karate chopped her with a fedora that she like threw into the audience during the performance. It was like a really clutch moment. And I, and she was good, right? Yeah, no, she was great. I I really would I never think that Paula Abdul. Could she be has interesting. Like seven number one hits. I know. I listen. You don't have to tell me. I, that's my era, honey. I know. I, I was. I was there when Paula was a huge star. And it was crazy to me to find that out as someone who like thought he knew about things and then like only knew about Paula Abdul from American Idol. Oh and no! Then, like, all being through, on her Wikipedia, and all through college, all she was on the radio and her um, Rush Rush video, which was kind of a remake of um, of uh, <laughs> I feel like JB right now, the James Dean movie. Rebel Without a yeah. Cause. There's, there's only like, one. There's like a James Dean character, and she's sort of the Natalie Wood character. It's a beautiful video. You should watch Rush. Um, anyway, JB, I don't know why our guest walked out. If you could just corral them, I'm going to do this quick story about... Uh, this has been... <laughs> I've been holding on to this story, Sean, since February 17th, 2018. I'm ready. That's how long it's been in my folder. It's the stupidest story, but I, I just want to do it. Two sets of identical twins got married. To each other? Yes. The two boys married two girls. Oh, okay. Or two men married two women. Excuse me. Uh, Brittany and Brianna. I hate when they name twins like that. Brittany and Brianna Dean met Josh and Jeremy Saliers uh, in August of 2017 at the Twin Days Festival in Twinsburg, Ohio. Have you heard about this? I have, actually. They have the largest gathering of twins in the world. Um, The 31-year-old Dean twins have been um, trekking to this festival since 2011. What are they looking for? for See, I don't know what they get there other than, like, publicity. Um, I did print out some pictures. The the women are dressed, for some reason, like St. Pauli girls. They're They're all good-looking, though. uh, Well, it's interesting. One woman and one man are really hot, and then the other identical twin is less so. I'm not wearing my glasses, so they just look Look at the two boys, JB. One of them is, like ridiculously hot and the other one's like eh he's alright don't you think anyway okay. they so married each other the no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the right one what do you I like the one in the uh, flannel here. I'm gonna say See, all four are hot yeah they're I, all attractive they're all really hot but I always am fascinated when, whenever anyone marries an identical twin because I feel like isn't that incest well it's, <laughs> it's no. not incest but if, if my boyfriend had an identical twin I would be just as interested in fucking him as I would fucking my boyfriend. Like, it's just another one of my boyfriends. Well, for some people, sex involves love. And so. What? <laughs> I've never heard of that. What are you talking about? So, you know, there might be some qualitative differences there. But don't you think they ever swap? No, I don't uh, think that. Okay, as as someone who's as someone who has two twins, little sisters, have you ever met a straight twins? Person? Are very different once you get to know them. And if you don't, if you can't tell your twin apart, then that's an issue. People say that, but I, when I was in high school, we had it's these true. twins, uh, Tommy and Jimmy Morrison. To this day, I couldn't tell you one from the other. Anyway, I just wanted to do that story. Let's do a quick gay pride roundup, and then we'll talk to our guests uh, this week. It is Belgian Pride in Brussels, Springfield Pride in Springfield, Illinois, uh, Lambertville, uh, New Hope Lambertville Pride in New Hope, Pennsylvania. It's Long Beach Lesbian and Gay Pride in Long Beach, California. And May 24th through 28th is DC Black Pride in Washington, DC. We wish everyone a happy, healthy Pride, and we'd still love a sponsor for that segment. Okay. Our guests today are the director and one of the stars of a brand new documentary that's gotten tremendous buzz. It's called Between the Shades, and it's an exploration of human sexuality 
and asks uh, questions about which labels you identify with if you identify with any label. Here's a clip from the film which starts with the great Kathy Najimy. Group of friends. You know, I think she has as many gay, lesbian, trans friends as she does straight friends. And I don't even think many of her generation identify as straight. I don't really love labels all that much. I, uh, I just love people. I'm more of just a people person. I happen to love women. That's who I am. Uh, well, I love a woman. I don't love m multiple women. I love multiple women, but in a different... <laughs> I love her. Okay, let's start over. Uh... <laughs> I love those two. Please give a warm-ass welcome to Jill Salvino and Yuval David. Thank Hi. you. Come on, audience. Where's the studio audience? There we go. Love the applause. Welcome to you both. You've all put your face right in that microphone. They, oh, yeah, there I've you heard go. that before. Mm -hmm. get, get it in your face. Yeah. Um, congratulations on the film. Thank you. It's such a timely discussion to be having. What, what made you want to make this documentary? Literally, I was talking about a gay friend of mine, and I said to another friend, he's not gay like Pete, he's gay like Michael. And they instantly knew what I meant. And we started talking about how many different degrees of gay there are, how many shades. You know, we used to think of people as all one type, stereotypically, which is horrible. And then we just sort of opened that door and said, well, if we have this kind of person, we have to have this kind of person, and this, and this, and this, and it just grew and grew and grew. And in the film, you interview uh, 50 people mm -hmm. of different sexual identities, gender identities, sexual orientations. What was the thing that surprised you the most Good in interviewing question. all these folks? I think trans people, I, 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 in my mind, I had a certain set of paradigms and I thought people were, were looking for something sexually in somebody and that there's no one rule book for, for who somebody wants to love, no matter what gender they become or they are born. In other words, you assumed that a trans woman would want to be with a man and a trans man would want to be with a woman? Was I think that what, so. Yeah. And then I realized as I was in edit, I kept playing it back going, oh, wait, that's not what he said and that's not what she wants. So that was surprising to me. But the one thing that was not surprising was the, the, the premise I had going into it was that at the end of the, of the day, no matter how different we all are, everybody has one thing in common and that's just that they want to be loved and not judged. Sure. And I think the, the thing to always keep in mind, and I, I, I wish I knew the person who first said this, but you know, your, your sexual orientation is who you go to bed with. Your sexual identity, your gender identity, is who you go to bed as. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of confusion about that, I think. And there are a lot of um, people in the film that don't identify as anything or are non-conforming. Um, there were allies, there were like Kathy and Jimmy, whose sister, I believe, is, is gay. Um, you know, there were parents of kids that came out 50 years ago and mm -hmm. parents of kids who came out like last week so that was really interesting to look at the parallels and look at what the differences now you've all you're a familiar face uh anyone who's watched madam secretary yes has seen you as <laughs> with, with the russian character right yes i i don't tend to play americans very much i think it's because of my name yuval david oh is it pronounced well, david um, but the way my family pronounces it is Yuval David, but in America it's become Yuval David. Are, are they Israeli? I love David. David's a great last name. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'll keep it now. Are, are, <laughs> is, your, is your family Israeli, Yuval? Yeah, my family's Israeli. And, Manishma. Um, I've been watching Stiesel on oh. uh, Netflix. So I've well, been... if you're watching Stiesel, I might have to start talking like this, but uh, no, not a lot of people in my family talk like this. I've been refreshing my, because I went to Hebrew school a million years ago. And do you remember anything? Well, it's coming back. I mean, I've learned more from the show than I ever did from those horrible Hebrew school teachers I had. Wow. We only really studied the prayers and a little bit of classroom. Like bar mitzvah prep. Yes. Yeah. But now I know expressions like loidot. You know, I know they say that all the time. On the show and Manishma, um, Mashlomcha. Good. Uh, yeah, I'm getting it. I mean, are you trying to flirt with me? Because I'm, I'm married, so <laughs> um, just, I'm always know. trying to flirt with our guests. Okay, no, that's, that's just fine. Because I'm a whore. Oh, wonderful! I, I I'm an an equal opportunity flirter, but Perfect. I'm all talk. Well, you've all. Uh, Jill told me that she thinks of you as her Hector Elizondo in the wow. sense that um, <laughs> Hector Elizondo was always turning up in the films of Penny Marshall <laughs> and, and also. Uh, uh, Gary Marshall. He was he, Hector. Hector was in Pretty Woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I'm flattered by that. I, Jill is somebody I've admired since the first moment I met her. I'm speaking about you in the third person, even I though you're like here. right next to me. Uh, Jill, you yeah. <laughs> are incredible. And the the thing is, 
about Jill is she is a phenomenal director, a phenomenal artist, but she has this great sensitivity where she makes everything a safe space. We hear this term safe space all the time, but in a lot of the, the speaking engagement that I have, the speaking engagements that I have, I turn safe space into brave space because it makes more sense to me. And Jill is one of those directors who creates a brave space where we can openly be ourselves. So it made perfect sense to me when you pitched this idea of your film that you're the one who's doing it because that's something you create. I mean, gosh, being on set with her as an actor is a phenomenal experience. But being on set with her in this documentary where she really allowed me to be me was uh, magical and moving. I mean, there's still moments that, uh, that I remember vividly of just our eyes meeting as we're filming this documentary and she made it a safe and brave space for me to just share my truth with well, my husband. And because as an actor, in some ways, it's probably harder to play yourself than to play a character, right? Because it, you're, you're so vulnerable. Oh, completely. Uh, vulnerability is one of my favorite words, one of my favorite concepts as well, because it's that vulnerability that is most interesting, that is most real. As actors, when we are vulnerable, we're letting the audience uh, really see the character's truth. But that's the same thing that goes for documentaries. That's the same thing that goes for public speaking. That's the same thing that I apply to a lot of different things. In this documentary, you see that vulnerability, not just in me and in, in my amazing, handsome and tall husband, um, <laughs> uh, but in-, Hello, in Mark. <laughs> oh, he's amazing. He's just like- Now incredible. you and Mark are in the film. Uh, are you an example of pure gayness or how, how did you guys identify? Girl, please, what does that even, what does that even mean? <laughs> well, we were saying earlier, like Sean and I are, are purely gay. Purely gay? I like, refer to is... myself as classically gay. <laughs> hmm. Classically gay. I mean, I'm such a binary person that I, anyone who identifies as non-binary, I, re you know, respect them 100% right. and I, I support them politically, but intellectually I have a hard time understanding it because I'm so binary. Like Ooh. I am definitely gay i'm definitely a man well the history of the terminology is really interesting because i'm not sure if you go into this in the film but it goes back to like 19th century in, in germany we it's first used as an empowering thing it's first used as a way to give name to a group of people whose actions were being uh, oppressed at a societal and a religious and a governmental level um and then now it seems that those terms that were created to kind of uh, make cohesive communities that needed community is now feeling restrictive and oppressive in its own way. So it's kind of done this 180. You're talking so, about the word non-binary? No, 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 I'm talking about uh, first the word homosexual, yeah. which comes into usage right. around that time. Um, and what I was kind of interested in is whether or not you, after doing all this work, found that these terms were liberating to people uh, or restrictive to people and whether or not you've had any pushback from any groups of people sure. about deconstructing these terms. Sure. So I, to, to lighten up the film a little bit, I did commercial breaks. <laughs> so I had like four commercial breaks. And in these breaks, we brought in other people that weren't interviewed in the film per se, but they were just asked quick questions. And one of them that became topical because the New York Times used it as their headline or a derivative thereof the other day was how gay are you? It's like a sleep, sleep, sleep center number for your sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> if you so, you know, people would walk in and I cut all their answers together. So you'd say like on a scale of one to 10, how gay are you? And it wasn't so Kinsey-ish in a sense, but it was more like, you know, somebody would say, I'm an 11 and a half, <laughs> you know, or somebody would say, I'm, I'm a four, I'm a five, or I'm a six. So it was just an interesting little antidote. Um, you know, we didn't really get any zeros. We got people who said they weren't willing to give a number or people who weren't w willing to label themselves. I'm, I'm not answering your question, but I found that That's fascinating. Fine. So let me ask you, I was starting to ask you all, let me ask you all and Jill, if you, if you had to give yourself a number, what would your number be? Wow. That, that's, you know, I actually find that a difficult question. I, I, the major parts of my identity are being uh, Jewish and artist, Israeli and American, and gay, but with all of the work that I do uh, within the LGBTQ community, which actually is more of an LGBTQ movement, I've been embracing the Q. I feel a lot more queer these days, even though I'm married to a man. And I'm married to a woman. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy the, the, the queer. I kind of, to be honest, I kind of miss the day when all of us were just gay. Like all of my lesbian friends who I've had for a long time used to just say, oh, I'm a gay woman, because it, it was a lot simpler. But what we've learned is that we actually need to 
allow people to define themselves, going back to your question of, of what it means to be gay by trans, what level of gay you are. That's a really complicated and long answer to your question. So from the number of one to 10, um, I, don't, I don't know, eight, seven, it changes day by day. With 10 being 10 being super like, gay. like super gay. <laughs> like Sean. Like Sean. No, I don't know I mean, if you're okay. super so gay. So are you saying gay? then, Yuval, that, that there's a scenario in which you could be with a woman? 100%. Romantically, mm -hmm. yeah. sexually? Absolutely. I, I, I'm very much uh, attracted to women, uh, and I am very much connect to strong uh, feminine energy. I mean, going back to complimenting Jill as a director, some of the best directors in my life, some of my best mentors and instructors and coaches and people I idolize are are women. So there's something... But do you want to fuck them? Um, not all of them, but some of them. <laughs> I mean, because I, like, I think gay men, part of being a gay man, this is sort of what you were saying earlier, Sean, is about like worshipping divas. But there's a difference between like worshipping a diva and wanting to actually date within one. Within the gay culture. Within, I think those, are, those are important to distinctions, important distinctions to make. I mean, and it's all spectrum-y again, yeah. right? Yes. It's all spectrum -y. What's your number, Jill, if you, if you have to give yourself one? I, I don't know if I really could. I'm in love with my wife, and I've been with men, and I'm married to a woman, and I'll be with her forever, so does that make me 10? I don't know. Well, like, Jill and I, as friends, have had conversations where, like, oh, my God, she is so hot, or he is so hot. And we can still talk about how sexy, from a pure sexual place, somebody is. Uh, so, I... I, I you know, I don't think I like that question. And in the film, a lot of people are like, well, I won't, you know... Uh, some people say they've came to it very late in life, so that they, they're not used to identifying right. as one or the other. Like and I my think husband that's the came case. out late. Right, like, he really came out when he was forty. So I have a woman in the film who said she was so happy because she she came out. Um, she said she was so happy her son came out at twenty one, instead of waiting till forty six like she did. Wow. So wow. She was married and had, you know, two kids or yeah. three kids, and then one of them came out, and, and the father was very upset about it, and she said, you better learn to get used to it, you know? Mm -hmm. See, what I get from you guys and from watching, you know, I watched about 10 minutes that you sent me of the film, which was fascinating. You only watched 10 minutes? I only sent him 10. Why'd you only send him 10? It's such an amazing film. Listen. Do you know how many times I've watched it? And <laughs> I, not only because I'm in it. You send me a movie, I will watch the whole thing. I, it wasn't because I didn't want to. Um, but the, the the thing I got from a lot of people in the film is like, why do I have to label myself? Right. I don't like labels. You know, I'm, I am me. And I, once again, I get that. I guess the devil's advocate in me says, as human beings, don't we put everything into categories? Absolutely. Isn't that how we make sense of the world? Like, Absolutely. this is an apple and this is an orange. And why does that matter? Well, it doesn't really, except that I like apples and I don't like oranges. So I do need to know the difference between one and sure. the other. I think you just happen to get those 10 minutes. But if you broke down the film, like a, a lot of the stories are about, many of them are about people's com coming out stories. And what it was, it was, you know, one guy who's an identical twin. And mm. his brother's straight, and he's gay. I love that. Isn't <laughs> and that fascinating? And one's a lefty and one's a righty, I bet. I don't know. But he that said happens a lot, too. His father threw him out of the house. He said his biggest bully at the time was his identical brother, mm. who probably saw so much of himself, and it scared him. Yeah. And his dad said, you can take what you can carry, and you can, you can either stop and don't do that anymore and stay here, or you can take whatever you can carry. And he took his a broken laundry basket and his Les Miserables CD, and he his, all the clothes he could take, and he left the house, and he never went back. You know, wow, and he's never spoken to his twin since then? Th they repaired their relationship. Wow. But but so I guess, back to my question, um, are we headed toward a genderless, no, we're sexual not. orientationless not world? Is that where we're going? I, where are we going? No, I, 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 that goes back to, again, this being about the LGBTQ movement. Because at least in New York, where uh, all of us live yes. or whatever well it, sean it, lives in china for okay well, part of the year and 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 jill has escaped to the beach as much as she can but there used to be a time that if two men as a couple were holding hands and walking down the street would cross another couple or a lesbian couple or whatever even two gay guys two lesbian guys would cross each other in the street we would make eye contact we had that little connection we're like oh like I get you, girl. I know who you are. Like, I see you and give that acknowledgement. Without the bandana in the pocket. Without the bandana <laughs> in the pocket. Now, I mean, there are so many times I'll walk down the street holding my husband's hand and there'll be another gay couple or a lesbian couple or uh, a, a, a trans couple or w whatever it might be. And 
we don't even need to do that anymore, at least in New York City. Now, in other cities in the United States where I've gone for filming or speaking engagements or just travel, I, I notice that I still stand out, that I still seem strange or different because I am part of this LGBTQ movement. And that's one of the things that Jill's film does, is it kind of normalizes what it means to be part of this community, this movement, whether we try to identify ourselves with a letter or not, to just say, hey, you know what, going back to your question, maybe we don't need to use a letter or, or, or a name to identify our gender and sexuality. Well, but that's exactly what Adam was saying, was that, you know, towards this idea of a genderless world mm -hmm. and this idea that, I mean, this conversation happens with gender, it happens with sexuality, it happens with everything in terms of a, 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 a postmodern look at language as language deconstructs, as words uh, take more meanings, they end up having no meanings, and this is kind of, in some ways, even the breakdown of liberal versus conservative, like whether or not, you know, X is X. I mean, that's Ayn Rand. Um, and so what's interesting to hear you say that is that, I, and I, I, I kind of just lost my, my, my <laughs> last <laughs> thread, as soon as I brought in, but, but, but what I was thinking is that if someone takes power from an identity, mm. um, if someone, and maybe power that they need or power that they don't have, or maybe power that they lost coming from Orlando, Florida, in my case, or in any other, in any other place like that, I think there's something almost dangerous about this idea of these, these labels breaking down, even as we understand that they limit us. I agree. And somebody in a film said, you know, she said, I'm a gold star lesbian. And, you know, and she, she said, if you're going to use my label against me, I will proudly use it. For I myself. love that quote. So I think there's all sides of the fence, and I'm also I know we need to wrap up, but like the younger no, generation, we still have nine minutes. Oh, do we? Okay. Yep. Um, the younger generation, like most of the people I spoke with, or people I've toured the film, and I went it was in 21 different film festivals in, in the U.S. and Canada, and I got to hear uh, the reaction and hear the questions where, wherever I was, and and a lot of the young people really don't identify they don't have to say that they're gay or not gay and they don't even think of people they they think of people in terms of whatever until somebody announces what they are and i think maybe that's just a healthier place to i live. think you've hit it on the head i think it's a generational difference mm -hmm. because you know i'm 48 my generation you were either gay or straight you were either male or female um yes we understood some people to be transsexual was the word that we used mm -hmm. then but that always involved surgery. That yeah, meant yeah. you were having sur like right. all these things were very binary, and so and it's yet, hard for me to as I said earlier, it's hard for me sometimes to conceptualize what it is to be not a non-binary person. But for my nieces and nephews who are a lot younger, they're like, oh yeah, there's a trans person in my school, there's a gay couple in my school, they're bisexual. It's so normal to them that the labels become almost meaningless. And yet we're on a very different page in the conversation as it applies to race. I mean, the term post-racial, um, you know, we're using, we're essentially talking about a post-gendered world. Post-racial is a bad word in woke discourse, as it were, this idea that, oh, we're all people, um, you know, erasing. Right, we're not, we can't be colorblind anymore. We have to actually recognize. Right, and recognize the way The that, different struggles. Yeah, and maintain the cognitive dissonance that we're simultaneously all people, and yet those labels um, represent both how people are treated and how people are and where they come from. Um, so it's it's really interesting. And, and I, I feel like I sound uh, antagonistic in some way. I'm not at all just kind of want to put kind of the, the other uh, idea in it. And it's just so interesting that we can be so for this idea of everyone is everyone and yet kind of we can't apply that kind of in all vectors of, of identity and personhood. But but that's why that's why this film is so important. That's why your show is so important because we're also very much in this little bubble right here in your studio right. in addition to in this city. Yes, we're talking about how there are this, this next generation, the the millennials or whatever they're called after the millennials. I don't know what they're called. Gens. Why? Gen whatever, uh, not whatever. They're very important, but you know, <laughs> they're, they're the whatever they're, generation. We're, we're talking about this. They we're making these generalizations, even post-racial. Like I, I was just in uh, South Carolina on a trip, and I was invited my mother and my nephew there. Now, I grew up in D.C. in Israel. I've lived in New York in L.A. I didn't, and I'm first-generation American. I didn't really experience how racism in America and how slavery in America has affected a society. There, 
Charleston, South Carolina, is not post-racial. I saw a complete racial divide in how, ra how um, racism, segregation, and slavery still has an effect right, on They're all that alive city. and well. And it's the same thing here. So we're talking about kids maybe in New York or D.C. or Chicago or whatever cities, but when... This film goes to areas Oxford, where, Mississippi. Yeah, we screened in Oxford, and, Mississippi. And what was the reaction yeah, down like there? there? I was on two panels. I was on a, a female filmmaker panel and a queer filmmaking panel. And so I took a lot of questions from the queer youth, which is very interesting. And I, it was it was a harrowing experience in the sense that it was almost okay. Let me just back, take one step back. When you're African American or Black, you, you wear your skin. Mm -hmm and people know what you are. Yes. When you're gay or trans or whatever you label yourself and you live in a community of, at times, small-minded people who don't get you, it's a very interesting world to live in. And the film screen there and Andrew Tobias, who's in the film, had a comment that I had completely forgotten about. And in the film he says, things are very different for our youth you know, here now. And if you live in New York City, if you live in LA, if you live in, in, a, in a progressive city, but what if you live in like Oxford, Mississippi? Right. And it was in the film and I'm like, oh geez, I forgot about that one. Did they all cheer when that happened? Yeah, and actually it's really interesting. The older generation, like the grandparents, they totally get it. Mm -hmm. the, it's the parents that can't wrap their head around it for the kids. And, and that's why it became really important for me to get the film into schools. And it's a very entertaining film for everybody. But we were, we're in like 200 libraries and universities. And we just got into like Columbia last week. That's and so we're great. in Duke. And we're in, in Oklahoma. So it's really great to see the film helping kids in a place where they may not have a role model. You know, I remember uh, very clearly being a gay, closeted gay kid in the 80s. And being so hungry for any reference, no matter how subtle, to homosexuality. Just anything that might tell me who I am or what it is to be gay. And so I feel like films like yours are so important, um, particularly for young people mm -hmm. who are trying to figure it all out. Uh, do you guys think, that because one of the criticisms of the left right now, from within the left, is that we're, we're so focused on, on, um, on uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Identity politics. Right. When really we should just be like focused on Donald Trump and getting getting him <laughs> out of office, getting back the Senate, getting, you know, taking control back of our institutions, which are under attack, our democratic institutions. Um, does it matter so much what my pronouns are when we have yes. a, a white supremacist fascist in the White House? who's unraveling everything. Well, it, it absolutely does. Identity politics is very important because not only are we expressing ourselves in our truest, uh, in our truest existence, to ourselves and to those around us, but we're teaching other people how to deal with us, how to understand us. So we focus a lot on uh, the, the term minority, which now I think instead of using the term minority, it's much more important to use the term marginalized, the marginalized communities, the victimized communities. One of the problems in the far left, and I'm very much <laughs> in the left camps, is too much focus on remaining that victim, on remaining that marginalized instead of empowering ourselves. And that's why films like this one and, and the work that Jill does and the work that all of you are doing is so important because it's saying, okay, we get it. This is where we come from. This is what our predecessors dealt with. This is what we can do to make ourselves better. And that's why everything that this film is expressing is so important because it's saying, recognize who you are, call yourself what you want, Tell people how they should understand you. Let them understand you how they see you. And now let's make this world a better place because of it. That's one of the things I get a lot uh, about the film. People say if I, they didn't know a trans person or if they'd never imagined. There are people that don't know gay people. Shocking. Sure. But they walk out of the film and they go, wow. Or they don't know that they know. They know right. that. Exactly. Right. If you're well, listening. Well said. And you have, you have uh, intersex people. Uh, individual in the fascinating. film. Fascinating. So fascinating because I think people, as she says in the movie, she's like, people thought that I was trans. They thought that I had had a sex change. They thought, they didn't even know what it was to be intersex. And she said people come up and ask her questions and she said, why don't you get to know me first? Right. Jill and Yuval, how can people see Between the Shades? It's on iTunes. It's on Google. It's on Fandango Go. Um, you can visit. It's on. It's available through Passion River Films. So you can go to their page and find it anyway. And if you're a teacher or an educator, you can get a license. Through I look forward to seeing the whole thing. Congratulations and thank you to you both. How can people follow you online? Uh, JillSalvino.com and the film is Between the Shades. 
Yuval. And uh, YuvalDavid.com and Yuval David just about everywhere across social media. Thank you so much. Sean Peter Drohan, how can people follow you? Uh, at 50 Picks of Drohan Gay at, uh, on, on Instagram. Wonderful. You will be back with us next week for our Best of Ass Memorial Day special. Whoa. Have a great week, <laughs> bitches.